this microphone working or sounds if it's working? <laughs> What's that? Sweet. <laughs> That's good. Glad, glad technology is working this morning. It's not all crackly. Let's open in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your mercy and grace. Thank you that uh, we can come along here this morning freely um, to hear from your word. We acknowledge that many people around the world cannot do that. And we just pray for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted, for those that are uh, under oppression, that you be with them and empower them and strengthen them for their journey ahead, Father. We also pray for Malcolm and Wendy as they um, are taking the nation's course, Father. I just pray you speak to them and through them, uh, and I pray your will be done there. Lord, again, I just uh, want to thank you for this uh, time we can spend in your word. So I just pray a blessing on this time so that we can be a blessing to others, not that we can keep it to ourselves, but we can share the grace and mercy that we've been given. So speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week um, we had Phil from World Vision speaking to us and it's, it's uh, such an amazing work that World Vision do. Um, we had the opportunity to visit uh, our sponsored child in Cambodia uh, a few years ago, quite a few years ago. 15 years ago, <laughs> but it was just really struck me that the work that they did was fantastic. And, and this morning, I'm going to, uh, Phil touched on a little bit uh, on the parable of the sheep and goats, um, and I'm going to revisit that again. Um, I think he just sort of touched on it, but there's quite a bit more to be said. And, um, but as we think about this, we can make the connection between the work that World Vision does and reaching those who are in need. So today we're going to talk about the parable of the sheep and goats in Matthew 25. But before we dive into that um, section, there are actually two big themes that run through Matthew. And it's important that you actually get the big picture on some of these passages before you dive into the detail. Um, there's a great uh, video that the Bible Project does on the book of Matthew and other books. They give a really just give you a good overview of what each book's about and, and as you look at those overviews and zoom into some of these particular specific passages you really sort of make sense of them a lot more and so in Matthew we have two big themes <clears throat> the first one is Jesus is God with us each gospel account emphasizes a unique angle on Jesus time on earth Matthew's gospel makes it clear from its opening sentence that Jesus is the fulfillment and continuation of the Hebrew scriptures. He is the Messiah from the royal line of David. He is a new Moses who has come to lead his people into a new covenant. He is God with us, Emmanuel. And the other big theme is Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah the Jewish Messiah. From the calling of the disciples to the Great Commission, every part of this gospel account uh, shows readers how the promises and prophecies God made in the Old Testament uh, to his people in the Old Testament came to pass through Jesus. So those are the two big themes, the two big pictures that we see here. But then we come to this parable of the sheep and goats and we start to zoom in a bit more. And it's important because the chapter before is where the story really starts. So we'll go to the next slide, I think. So in chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus uh, said, uh, 
in chapter 24, verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will the sign of the coming coming and end of the age? So the reason the disciples came to Jesus privately was not to question him or say, um, challenge his audacious claim that the temple was going to be destroyed. They were actually coming to ask him a legitimate question as a friend. Often when the Pharisees in public came to Jesus, they were testing him. But this is not like that. This is a small group of people trying to ask Jesus and understand what he's just said. This is his friends. So Jesus was actually giving them some insider knowledge. What would happen in the near future and what would happen in the future as well. And that same insider knowledge is recorded in these eyewitness accounts of Matthew for us today. And it's important we remember those. So Jesus has recorded that through eyewitness accounts for us to see today, and that's fantastic. As we start to zoom in this section, we see a particular theme start to develop. And that theme is being ready. So as you read through these parables and these stories, the theme coming through is be ready. So let's dive into this passage. Uh, We'll go to the next slide. Matthew 25, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king shall say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom is prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothes you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Next slide. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the internal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They will answer the Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison and did not help? He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So really challenging words there. And um, I think there's three main, three main points 
we see that uh, the three main points that I want to talk about this morning is that Jesus' return will surprise everyone. Jesus gives us opportunity to demonstrate our faith. And Jesus identifies with the poor and truly vulnerable. So this parable certainly opens on quite a confronting note. This parable opens with Jesus gathering the nations and separating them into two groups, sheep and goats. The process we see here is all about judgment. And both groups are actually surprised by the judgment. But before we move on to the subject, I want to explore the issue of judgment here because it's a key theme in this, obviously. We can't ignore it. If you search the Bible, you'll get around 158 hits of the word judgment, and depending on which version you have. And nobody likes to be judged. And uh, as an auditor, that's what I do. <laughs> I go in and see, look at people doing their work and see, hey, what you're doing? Is that in accordance with our procedures? And if you are flying on one of our aeroplanes, I'm sure you'd be very happy that somebody like me is going looking at our procedures and making sure people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. You'd be wanting to make sure that plane's flying safely and people aren't cutting corners. So we often think about judgment in a negative context, but in this context as an auditor, it's a positive thing. Because then you pay anybody who flies on one of MAF's aeroplanes knows it should be safe because of the audit process and because of judgment. So it's, judgment can be good. And one of the things that I notice um, when I'm actually um, at auditing, and when I'm audited myself, because we as auditors still get audited, and, and I must admit, when people come to audit my work, I squirm and wriggle just like anybody else. <laughs> but if I'm prepared, I'm comfortable because I know things are okay. But if I'm not prepared, there's going to be a bit more squirming and wriggling going on on my part. But what I do observe when I'm out auditing is that those who are prepared actually are really comfortable. They're confident that their work is going to withstand scrutiny. And the audit actually usually go pretty quickly. Audits go slowly when people don't have things in order. But when thing, people are prepared, they're confident and they know things are right. In Hebrews, and so the, the whole point of these parables actually is about being ready, and that's one of the big themes here. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, How's that coming? It's fairly small, but we can read it. Just as people are destined to die once, after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for them, or those who are prepared. It's quite a, quite a striking verse. And in the, and then the sheep and the goats, we also seeing that added jarring concept lay clearly before us when Jesus says, Depart from me, you are cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the angels. Um, I've heard some people say that they don't believe a loving God would send anybody to hell. Just going to that C.S. Lewis quote. C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, The Problem with Pain, this comment. And it's a little bit hard to understand, but just have a, oh, have a listen, have a read. C.S. Lewis said, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful, rebels to the end, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. They enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. Just as the blessed, forever submitting to obedience, become through all eternity more and more free. In the long run, the 
the answer to all those who object to the doctrine of hell is itself a question. What are you asking God to do? I've actually been witnessing to people and, and people say, I don't believe God's going to send, a loving God's going to send anybody to hell. I don't think you'll need to. I think it'll be apparently obvious. Romans 1, at the end of Romans 1, there are three, three things that come right at the end that says, God gave them over, God gave them over, God gave them over. He says that three times in the last half. Actually, God was giving people what they wanted. And I think God's just going to ask that question, what do you want? Did you want me? Or did you not want me? And he'll say, if you didn't want me, go to where I'm not. Where God is, is heaven. It's a good place. It's where all the good and loving things are. And where God is not, that's everything else. And so God's just going to say, what did you want? And when I ask the person, you know, if you spend your whole life avoiding God... Why do you think, A, that you'd want to be worth near somebody who you want, you're avoiding? Or B, why would he let you in? And I think that question is fairly obvious. So the question for some of us today might be, what do you want? In Romans it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And the payment for that, or the wages of that, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And it goes on to say, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So salvation is actually quite easy. God has made it so simple for us. In the Old Testament, you had to go through a sacrificial system, and it was quite complex. But God, God, through Jesus, has made it incredibly simple, simply to trust in Christ, acknowledge our sin. So it's not hard to do. So let's move back to this parable, because there's actually a second surprising point. The differentiating factor between the two groups is how they respond to the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, and the prisoner. Jesus explains that those who are welcome in the kingdom are those who, are welcome, who have welcomed the stranger, fed the hungry, clothed the naked, given something to the drink, something to drink to the thirsty, or practicing hospitality for people's practical needs. It's a shocking answer in some respect because this parable appears to be... Um, uh, arguing that we can be saved or receive God's uh, approval um, through generous acts and doing things for people. This seems to run counter to what the rest of the New Testament teaches about being saved. It's not through works but through faith. And we see that quite clearly in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, 8 and 9. So how are we to resolve this apparent contradiction? Because I believe uh, with the Apostle Paul that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Christians also believe that Jesus is the Son of God who is the way, the truth and the life. And scriptures also are clear that that through Jesus' life, through his death on the cross and his resurrection, um, after that death that the sins of the world began to be forgiven. And there's a real clear overview of that in Acts chapter 4. But we should remember what parables are. They are actually stories which have limitations, but they're there to demonstrate a particular point. So so Jesus' teaching here is actually a subset of everything else he's been teaching. And that's why I started with the big picture of 
of what Matthew's all about. Jesus is God with us. Just, uh, is there a slide for that one? No, maybe not. Um, Jesus is God with us. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. And so this sits with, as a subset of, this, of that teaching. So this particular section is all about being ready, given that you've already made that choice to follow Jesus. Having received God's forgiveness through Jesus, we're to pass on that grace and forgiveness we have received from others. And in the Lord's Prayer, we also see, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Or the principle with which Jesus sent his disciples on a mission, freely I have received, freely give. The parable of the unmerciful servant in Luke also explains that having received mercy from God, it is incumbent on us to pass it on. Or we may be revealed as not having received the mercy in the first place. So the same principle is at play here. Those who have received God's grace must demonstrate through the uh, must demonstrate that we've received God's grace by demonstrating that grace and mercy to others. It's a really strong theme. As we've received, so we should give. And I often say it's like being conduits of God's grace, love, and mercy and peace. And and I love the um, promise given to Abraham: um, "You are blessed to be a blessing." And so you can see that same theme coming through. And I love praying a blessing on God's people, not so that we can hold it in, but so that we can be conduits and give it out. We can be blessed so that others can be blessed. And that's the heart of God. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Mm. So Matthew 24 is all about Jesus' special words to his close friends and his followers about being ready and is a subset of his broader teaching. Being ready means this. Freely we have received God's forgiveness and freely we need to forgive. Freely we have received God's glorious riches and grace, so freely give thanks and freely give to others. So the main point of this passage is this. Our lives cannot be unchanged after we encounter Jesus. If there is no sign of grace of God in the way we treat others, this parable warns us that we may well be deluded in thinking that we are in the God of kingdom and therefore Christians at all. So it's quite challenging. Everything we, the grace that we've received should be obvious. So the second point was the, um, that Jesus does give us opportunities to demonstrate our faith. In Matthew 25 verse 40, the king will surely reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. One of the strange things about this parable is that both the righteous and the wicked didn't recognise Jesus because Jesus identified with the hungry, the thirsty, the naked and the stranger. He said, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. But neither the wicked nor the righteous uh, recognised Jesus in those situations. A little bit like on the story of the disciples who encountered Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They didn't recognise Jesus. But Jesus is in the poor, the hungry, the vulnerable, those in need. So there's an interesting debate about this, about, about treating fellow Christians or brothers and sisters in Christ this way. So this, is this parable about treating brothers and sisters or Christians? Is this just about the Christians or is this a much broader group? I think probably you can make a reasonable argument it could be both. And if you treat both that way, then it's probably the safest. But I did want to unpack a little bit of this thing about uh, whether it's 
how we treat brothers and sisters in Christ. The mark of a Christian or follower of Jesus is, is our love one for another. And it gets a bit personal if we start to look, especially about followers of Christ, if we treat that as our brothers and sisters. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I, um, I've often pondered about the story of Saul, Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was going to Damascus to persecute the Christians. And what happened? Anybody know? He, he, encountered, he encountered Jesus in a vision. And what were Jesus' words? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So how was Saul persecuting Jesus? <laughs> how was Saul persecuting Jesus? Did he have a cosmic ray gun that he was shooting into heaven? He was persecuting people, but specific groups. Christians, yep. And it's quite a sobering thought. So as, we, as Christians are being persecuted, God is being, Jesus is being persecuted, and if we start turning on each other, who are we turning on? <laughs> so Jesus is being materially injured by Saul's actions, and it's not good as brothers and sisters in Christ that we attack each other or pour it, tear each other down. So it's an interesting thought. Thought. I mean, and that's very consistent with um, John's letter. First John three sixteen says, "This is how we know that what love is." Jesus Christ laid his down his life. And that the yep, thank you. Um, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anybody has material, sees a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, with actions and truth. So it's very, very true. And there's a very consistent message. You see, Jesus was giving his teaching his disciples, but what we see a lot in the letters and the epistles is actually the writers of those other New Testament documents actually unpacking what Jesus talked about and saying this is what it's life and like in first century life. And so we have to take those principles and saying, what, what did Jesus tell us? What did the apostles say in those letters and how did they... In, uh, interpret those commands of Jesus in first century life and how can we take those principles and apply them to us here. Some of them translate very easily. I mean, like this here. We can meet our... If anybody has material possessions and sees a brother and sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? That translates very easily to us today. But regardless of your position, it's certain God certainly calls us to love God love our neighbour, especially love our brothers and sisters in Christ because that's a mark of a Christian, and love your enemy. So is anybody else in this world, do you think? <laughs> that's everybody. And so the markers of a Christian should be love. So what do we see? In this particular parable in the wider scriptures, it seems that genuine believers respond to the needs of those around them with mercy and grace as normal parts of their life. In fact, it's so normal for them that the believers in this parable can't even remember their service. Jesus has to remind them what they did for others. And therefore, because what they did for him. And so it's become so much a part of their life, it's normal. And this is where we should aim to be. These good deeds are the evidence of a life transformed by God's grace. 
and not the way, and it is not the way we qualify for God's kingdom, but as evidence of a life that's been changed by an encounter in Jesus. So the next point is uh, Jesus identified with the poor and vulnerable. The one big question this parable does ask is, are we really willing to serve Jesus through serving those who are in need? Uh, and Jesus is led into a secret. We've been given the spoiler that reframes our way of understanding Christian life and, the, and our service in the world. We've been shown that caring for the poor and truly vulnerable is also caring for Jesus. And well, one of the things that World Vision, uh, I think I mentioned last week, um, maybe, maybe not, but there was something like 815 million people who face daily hunger and over 70 million people across the globe who have been forced, forcibly displaced from their home. We have been instructed to see these people and with the help of organisations like World Vision, we can. We need to look. And it's made a difference. Poverty has been reducing over the years. We don't hear a lot about it, but it has been. COVID has been a bit of a disruptor, and that's made things worse for many people. But by and large, poverty, the, the poverty threshold, is, the number of people living in poverty, poverty has, been, has been dropping. And so people like organisations like World Vision and MAF, for that matter, do make a difference. They make a difference to the one, they make a difference to the village, and they make a difference for us as we look and see and meet people's needs. As I said, um, we went up to World Vision to Cambodia <coughs> a few years ago, and, and it was just amazing to see the difference they made. They had micro-businesses that they were creating. The ability just to create a dollar or two a day was life-changing. Having water in your immediate area and not having to travel six to eight kilometres to a dirty river to get clean water, or any water, it certainly wasn't clean in the river that, we, that was nearby that we could see. Having these wells in these villages made a huge difference. And so that's actually meeting people's practical and physical needs in Jesus' name. And um, it was just so transforming for these people. And um, we were really amazed at the work they did. But one of the things, as much as anything, is organisations like these give us, actually give us the ability to see these people. Uh, we also support Barnabas, which is a Christian organisation, the persecuted church in the third world. Some of the stuff that goes on there is horrific, is horrific as well. And giving to meet our brothers and sisters who are being persecuted uh, is also important. But going back to the, the, um, this passage, um, the separating factor between the righteous and the wicked in this pa passage was not necessarily the big crimes that they committed. Well, I didn't see anything about murder, theft, rape, or anything like that. It was actually not to do with the big crimes, but to do with the small mercies that, we, that they didn't, didn't do. It was about the smallest mercies that we omit. And one way we, that we miss the least of these in our culture is to become so busy that we don't take time to listen to God and see what he sees. Can we just go to the next passage in James? We did a study on this one in our life group and um, I was really struck by this particular passage a while ago. And um, I'll just read it out, James 4.13. And I'm wondering, just before I do, I want to see if you can see the connection between that last verse 17 and the rest of it. Now listen, you, say, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go this way or that, go, go to this city, 
this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you, why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anybody then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I've often, I've often wondered how that verse connects to the rest of that, that section. I, and I've often seen James a little bit like a sort of a New Testament proverbs, lots of good little sayings, pithy things. But, but this actually is really well connected because the opening verse in, in third of verse, chapter 4 verse 13 is actually the language of traders. You know, you go to one city and you set up business and you trade, you sell, you buy and you make money. So I'm going to go, and if anybody's owned their own business, I haven't, but I've heard a lot of people say it about their own business, it's a tough road, and, you, and it's almost all-encompassing. And this speaks to us in, in our society today, because much of our work can become all-encompassing. So the focus of these guys, these traders in this passage here, is actually all about making money, working hard, and having a full diary. Who, who's gone along and say, Who's had a conversation with a friend, something like this? Oh, how are you going? Oh, man, I'm so busy. Man, I just got to be work till 9 o'clock midnight last night, and I've got to start at 6 in the morning. And the other person says, oh, that's nothing. <laughs> and there's this busy off. You know, the two are competing, showing, trying to have a, seeing who the busiest is. <laughs> I've been guilty of that, <laughs> and I think we've all had conversations. But the point of that, I think that's, um, that the second half of verse 16 says, actually really is a, an indictment. All boasting is evil. A busyness actually doesn't allow us to see the need that God's put in front of us. And, and, and the verse there, uh, instead you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So actually, God wants to speak into our diaries. We shouldn't have our diaries so full that we don't have time for God and we don't have time to see those people in need around us. So busyness, is a, I believe, is a strategy of Satan to get us our eyes off God and off meeting the needs of others. And this is where the last verse comes in here. If anyone who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it is sin for them because we're not allowing time to see and take action to meet the needs of those around us. And if we don't do those things, that's sin. Simply because our diaries are too full and we're too busy. We need to make time. So in summary, this passage is about Jesus' return will surprise everyone. Jesus gives us opportunities to demonstrate our faith if we look and make time. Jesus identifies with the poor and the vulnerable. So what are we going today? If you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been pondering that question I put to you earlier, what do you want? It's easy. Come to Jesus. Seek his forgiveness. Turn your life to him. Call on his name. Freely, and if you are a follower of Jesus, freely, freely what you've received, freely we have received forgiveness from God, so freely we need to forgive. Freely we have received God's glorious riches and grace, so freely give thanks and freely give to others. 
And finally, make time in our diaries to listen to God's calling and see what God sees. Just going to close in prayer while the team comes up there. Lord, we thank you for your word today. Thank you for the challenge for me to look to the needs of others, not to get too busy that we don't see what you see. Give us your eyes to see the need around us and give us the courage to step out and meet those needs. Lord, we just thank you so much that you've given us this grace, but help us to be conduit to your grace, mercy and love to others. Father, I just pray a blessing on every person here today. Bless them, Father, that they can be a blessing to others. In Jesus' name, amen.